Assalamu alaikum alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Ramadan Mubarak to you and yours. This Ramadan, as we all gather to share a meal with our loved ones, we need to remember those in Gaza who are also gathering to share a meal with so many who aren't there that were just there a year ago. Since October the 7th, the Human Development Fund has assisted over 200,000 people in Gaza, providing them with essential aid such as food baskets, water, hot meals, winter items, shelter, hygiene kits, and baby formula. Your generous contributions are making a significant impact, especially in Rafah. Let's sustain this momentum and continue providing crucial support during this sacred and blessed month. Please visit hdfund.org slash qalam. That's hdfund.org slash qalam, Q-A-L-A-M, to learn more about our global reach this Ramadan and choose where you'd like to direct your support during this blessed month. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make this month a time of mercy, solace, acceptance, and triumph for the ummah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And may Allah continue to use all of us as a means and never replace us. Ameen, Ya Rabbil Alameen. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. You are listening to the Qadam podcast, the series on the tafsir of Surah Yusuf. The meaning, the read-through, and the breakdown, and the commentary of the 12th chapter of the Qur'an here at Qalam Institute Podcast. Okay. Bismillah, alhamdulillah, assalatu wassalam ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa ashabihi ajma'een. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah, first and foremost, all praise is due to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, because He was the one that gave us the ability to uh, reflect over this Qur'an, to ponder over it, to read it, to understand it. Uh, All praise begins with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and ends with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So we praise Him and we thank Him for all of the bounties that He has given us. Uh, Alhamdulillah, this is a, inshaAllah, going to be a weekly Monday night Maghrib to Isha uh, plan that we have for the foreseeable future uh, of going through this beautiful, beautiful surah, the 12th chapter of the Quran, Surah Yusuf. Um, before I begin even the, 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 the conversations and the meaning and commentary of this beautiful surah, it would be very, very uh, of ill manner of me to not mention the importance of what this is trying to accomplish. That this gathering together, first and foremost, is a gathering for the sole purpose of the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That the niyyah behind this gathering is to gain the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in hopes of attaining his paradise. And there is a famous narration that mentions that whenever there is a mention of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that is happening in the dunya, the angels that are, you know, roaming the dunya, a group of angels have a specific task that is to roam the earth seeking any sort of remembrance of Allah. And whenever they hear it or whenever they come upon it, they stop and they make dua for those people. And there's another narration that actually says that these malaika, these angels, in fact, they actually join them. And so... The first and foremost thing that I would like everyone to kind of reflect upon here 
is that this gathering, you know, we hope and we make dua that it is filled not only with us but with the angels of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That they're making dua for us and they are reporting back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that there are a group of Muslims, of believers from the South Lake community here in Texas that are dedicating Monday nights of their lives in order to better their relationship with you through your Quran. That is an incredible, incredible uh, dua to make. And so this is the importance of our gathering here. Okay, Alhamdulillah, we are gathered together to read through and discuss and learn the beautiful meaning of the Quran. The Quran is something where the Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the first or in the second chapter of this majestic book, He says, ذَٰلِكَ الْكِتَابُ لَا رَيْبَ فِي Right? Alif Lam Mim, ذَٰلِكَ الْكِتَابُ لَا رَيْبَ فِي This is Surah Al-Baqarah. Where He says that this or that is the book, ذَٰلِكَ There is a book right here, كِتَابُ لَا رَيْبَ فِي There is no doubt within it. هُدًا لِلْمُتَّقِينَ that if this book is done some sort of justice to, people will immediately flock towards its guidance. That this is a book in which it is a guidance for those who are muttaqeen, people who are conscious of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in their life. And the scholars of our tradition, they say that guidance is something that will present itself to mankind if mankind looks for it. That guidance comes to each and every single person if they sincerely want and desire it. So when one comes with the niyyah of, of pleasing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to gain guidance through his Qur'an by spending time in the, the, the house of worship, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us in the Qur'an that this is something that you will find in this Qur'an. Okay, so this is another niyyah that we should have. So... This surah that I've chosen, and not only myself, by the way, a lot of our faculty and our, our, our teachers, you know, um, in the institution that I belong to, Qalam, we have decided together that this surah is a great surah to begin a series with. Because this surah is a surah that focuses on one narrative. One narrative. The other surahs in the Qur'an sometimes when they are longer, especially not in the 30th section Juzamma, but in the longer sections of the Qur'an from Surah Al-Baqarah, Surah Al-Imran, Surah Al-Nisa, all these other surahs that are longer in, 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 in verses, they go through multiple narratives at a time. And sometimes it is difficult for a person to stick through them because they jump from one thing to another and it takes a very, very sharp and keen mind that needs to be trained in order to understand and keep up with that content. So for a person who is here following a narrative every single week, this surah is a great starting point. Surah Al-Yusuf. Which brings me to one of my first points about the surah itself, is that this surah is the only surah in the Qur'an. The only surah in the Qur'an that completely from start to finish tells the entire life of a prophet of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There is no other surah in the Qur'an that does this. There are other surahs that discuss the lives of the prophets. Surah Al-Qasas discusses the life of Prophet Musa. But also the life of Musa is discussed in, the, in, in, in Surah Al-Taha. Right? 
and, and, and portions of his story with Khidr are discussed in Surah Al-Kahf. There are different surahs that cover a wide variety of prophetic narratives. This is the only one, the 12th chapter, that covers from start to finish the entire story of a Prophet of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Sayyidina Yusuf alayhi salam. This surah is considered a Makki surah. A Makki surah. A Makki surah, by the way, something really interesting that a lot of people, sometimes they think that they understand what Makki and Madani mean. But this is something that will sharpen up the tools of understanding as well because this is something that is, uh, you know, as, as Qur'an, by the way, Qur'an is, is a broad resource. And we slowly start to understand that through the Qur'an, things like fiqh, things like aqidah, you know, things like, uh, like adab and akhlaq, all these different sciences of the religion are found through Qur'an, right? So one of the things that we learn through the Qur'an is in terms of the, 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 the causes of revelation, what you call in Arabic, asbab and nuzul The cause of revelation, one of the, 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 the behind the scenes of this revelation is that it's a Makki surah. Except four ayat of this surah that are considered madani. Makki and madani, by the way, a lot of people misunderstand that it is interpreted as when the Prophet ﷺ was inside of Makkah and he received revelation that was considered a Makki surah. And when he was inside of Medina, it was considered a Madani surah. This is actually not correct. The correct answer to this question is that any surah that was revealed to the Prophet ﷺ pre-hijrah is considered a Makki surah. Any surah that is revealed to the Prophet ﷺ after his migration to Medina is considered a Madani surah. So I'll throw out a very interesting question. Can a surah be Madani if the Prophet ﷺ was physically in Mecca? Yes, it can. Yes, it can. Because, for example, if a surah was revealed during the conquest of Mecca, if a surah was revealed during that time period, well, after the Prophet ﷺ lived in Medina, he came back to Mecca to claim Mecca as a city of a believer, it is still considered a Madani surah because it was revealed post-migration, post-hijrah. So this surah is majority Aside four verses, it is a Makki surah, means that it was revealed before the hijrah of the Prophet ﷺ. This surah, something very interesting about this surah as well, is that this surah comes in response to a question that was posed by the disbelievers of the time. And this surah, and this is very interesting by the way thematically, a lot of the Qur'an is broken down in terms of the time and in the reasoning why it was revealed. And so this surah comes in response to a question of the Jews of the area in Mecca that the Prophet ﷺ was in at that time, where they came to the Prophet ﷺ and they asked him, if you truly are a prophet of God, if you truly are a messenger of God, and if what you're saying is true, and if your message is true, then tell us the answer to this question. And this question was, tell us why specifically, uh, Abdullah ibn Abbas, he says that the question was, from the Jews, tell us specifically why the family of Ya'qub moved from Syria to Egypt, to Misr. Tell us why that happened. And this was something that was posed to the Prophet wasallam that you were nowhere near that time period, you were nowhere near that, that, that area of the world. So if you truly are a prophet of God, if you truly are a person who claims to be what he is, 
then tell us the reason why this prophetic family moved from one place to another and tell us why they moved. And so because of this, the answer of the Prophet ﷺ came directly from revelation of the Qur'an and specifically revelation of the surah. So the beginning portion of the surah, and we'll inshallah begin the, the conversations and the, in the, the meaning and the commentary of the surah. And we're not going to get to very much today. And I hope everyone knows this. By the way, there's a very famous statement from uh, a, a very famous scholar of tafsir. That he says that the knowledge of the Qur'an will only come to those with a prerequisite. And the prerequisite is patience. Because the Prophet ﷺ did not receive all of revelation at one time. The Prophet ﷺ, he received revelation over the span of 23 years. More than two decades of time went by until the Qur'an was done being revealed to this Messenger of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So for a person to try to rush and hasten through the Qur'an, it is actually of bad adab to race through the Qur'an. It is actually of better adab to go through it very, very meticulously, very, very beautifully and methodically, and try to take some sort of lessons from each and every single word from this glorious book. So the surah, it begins with a very interesting start. This is one of the surahs in the Qur'an which begins with letters that do not translate out to any specific word, right? There are other surahs in the Qur'an that are like this. Alif, Lam, Mim, right? Surah Al-Baqarah, Ha, Mim, Ta, Ha, Yasin. These are all different examples of surahs that begin with disjointed letters, right? And uh, what they're actually called is really interesting. I, and you know, people should probably know this if they're here specifically for an effort to understand the Qur'an. This specific concept is called Huruf al-Muqatta'at in Arabic. And what Huruf al-Muqatta'at, it literally means the separated or disjointed letters. And the scholars of tafsir, they say that the interpretation, the meaning of the Huruf al-Muqatta'at are several, but the most popular and the consensus is that these disjointed letters are for a purpose that are between Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and His Messenger. That if you want to imagine this, if you will, this is a conversation between Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and His Messenger, and we are a third party that is viewing this conversation. And of course, the lessons within this conversation in the Qur'an are for us, but the conversation directly is to the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So for a person to actually kind of like poke and prod at what the possible meaning of Alif, Lam, Mim, or Ha, Mim, or Yasin, or Alif, Lam, Mim, any of these are, it is actually considered inappropriate for a believer to prod and to poke at what this could possibly mean. That we, this is one of the lessons of, of, of Aqidah, by the way, is that there are certain pieces of knowledge that are specifically with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and this goes back to the principle that if the, 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 the knowledge of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was the equivalent of the sea, of the ocean, that what we have been taught is less than like one small little piece of foam in the sea. This is it, one little droplet in the ocean, that's it. So for us to question, you know, what is this and what is that and this and that and what is this? There's good in questioning. Absolutely, there's good in questioning. There's a hadith of the Prophet ﷺ that's actually found in the Arba'een of Nawawi that we just covered this past year. That asking questions is good. Asking questions is good. But to ask excessive question, 
kathratu masailihim asking excessive questions wa ikhtilaf and 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 disagreeing with the messengers is what actually caused the downfall of a lot of societies that came previously that the people of Musa alayhi salam when they were told in surah al-baqarah to sacrifice a cow what did they end up doing asking and asking and asking and asking well what color is it supposed to be is it supposed to be old or is it supposed to be young is it supposed to be this or that is it supposed to be skinny or large all these different questions eventually the bani israil they suffered from this disease of asking too many questions and so when it comes to islam it's good to ask questions but making sure that these questions bring some sort of direct benefit to us as believers and this is why that famous dua exists that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, O oh Allah, Allahumma, I seek refuge in you, O oh Allah, from knowledge that does not benefit. From knowledge that does not benefit. Because just gaining knowledge for the sake of gaining knowledge is not good enough for a believer. That we believe that knowledge gained for a believer, in fact, is a form of proof for you or against you on the day of judgment. That if there's a piece of knowledge that we have gained, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will ask us on the day of judgment, well, did you in fact implement and act upon it? And if you didn't, well, what's the reason? Why did you not act upon what you had learned? What is the reason, what, what held you back? And what caused you to gain knowledge if you were not going to implement it in the first place? What was the niyyah behind your knowledge? And by the way, this is why I thought it was very beneficial that we did the 40 hadith of Imam Nawawi before we started a, a, a series on Qur'an. Because the prophetic statements of the, of the Prophet Sallallahu teach us how to handle these different responsibilities. إِنَّمَا الْأَعْمَالُ بِالنِّيَاءِ That actions are in accordance to their intention. So now that we know that, when it comes to reading Qur'an, we ask ourselves, what is my reason of reading this Qur'an? What is my reason for asking this question? What is my reason behind me being here? These are the beauties of, of studying things in sequence. So alif, lam, ra. These are the huruf al-muqatta'at, the disjointed letters. Allah then continues on and He says, Tilka ayatul kitab al-mubin. He says in the, in, in, in the following section, in the following statement, He says, Tilka ayat al-kitab al-mubin. And I, by the way, I encourage everybody who's here, you know, if, if you're interested in following along, opening up your phones and, you know, reading on a physical copy of the Qur'an, whatever it may be, because it allows you to connect with the words that we are, we are reading. Not just kind of listening, because obviously there's auditory learning, but visual learning is also a thing, right? So following along is also a very, very, very beneficial uh, strategy when it comes to Qur'an, you know? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He says, Tilka ayatul kitab al-mubin. That this right here, tilka, the word tilka in Arabic means these. There's several words in Arabic, by the way, that kind of give off the notion of, 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 of placement. Hadha, hadihi, tilka, right? These are all words that kind of denote placement of certain ideas that people refer to. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala here is saying tilka, tilka, these. Right here, tilka ayat, these verses, Ya Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, that you have been given. And tilka, by the way, denotes proximity of closeness, qareeb. Like if Allah ta'ala says tilka, He's saying this right here. It's right next to you. It's not there, it's not far away. It's not even, you know, it's not even at an arm's length. It's right within your grasp. In fact, Qur'an should be within the heart. The Qur'an... 
even before we continue to read and read and read and read, it should be within the heart before we continue on. So when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we recite Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen, so many people are quick to jump from this surah to that surah to this surah to that surah. And of, of course, I'm not saying, I'm not, not, not negating the, the, the importance of learning and memorizing Qur'an. What I'm saying is that it's problematic when we make our intention to just jump from surah to surah for the sake of finishing. You know, this, the, the, this whole culture of, of khatman Qur'an, which by the way, is, it's not bad. It's a great accomplishment to read the Qur'an from cover to cover. It's a great thing. It's proving that we are trying to do something that pleases Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, reading the entirety of a book that He has revealed to us for guidance. But it is problematic when we make that at the expense of our understanding. Because at the end of the day, the Qur'an is not a book that's supposed to be for the sake of ritual. The Qur'an is supposed to be a book for the sake of contemplation. أَفَلَا تَعْقِلُونَ do you not ponder? Do you not think? Do you not reflect? Tadabbur. So the Qur'an is not solely for the sake of just reading through the ayat without thinking about them. This is a responsibility that people have when they recite this Qur'an. So tilka, it's in close proximity to you, Ya Rasulullah. You've been revealed this Qur'an and so it should be close to you and the people around you. Ayat. The word ayat in the Qur'an means technically... It means verses, right? But linguistically, the word ayat, actually ironically is the name of my daughter, <laughs> ayat. This is the same exact uh, reason why we picked this name for our child. Ayat or ayat, plural, is what is defined as signs and miracles of God. Ayat. And so when you apply it into the context of Qur'an, linguistically when you read that translation, ayat is a miracle, a sign of God. Anybody ever read Surah Al-Rahman? Right? All of these things Allah Ta'ala, He says, and which of the favors of your Lord will you deny? These ayat are a part of the favors. The ayat can be anything. Ayat can be your family. Linguistically, ayat can be your family. Ayat can be your children. Ayat can be your parents. Ayat can be your, the, the wealth that Allah has given you. Ayat can be your ability to breathe easily, your health. Ayat can be anything. But when it comes to Qur'an, ayat refers to the verses that are known as miracles. That each and every single statement of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, each and every verse of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is a miracle and a sign for you to reflect on. So tilka ayat al-kitab al-mubin. That these are the ayat of a book that is described as mubin. And I'll tell everybody just two definitions of mubin because this is so important. Mubin, something that the scholars they say is very interesting here, is that when you have a, what you call a, um, in Arabic, it's almost like an infinitive. Mubin, right? Uh, it, it is something that could uh, it go on forever. It's something that's clear forever. Okay, this word is a word that comes to describe something that is very clear. And not only very clear, but the, this form of any word in Arabic describes something at its perfection. So for example, Rahmah, right? What does Rahmah mean? Anyone? Mercy, right? Ar-Rahman is... The most merciful. 
And this is why, by the way, just kind of like a small tangent here. In Islam, there are certain names that are actually impermissible for a person to use for people. Ar-Rahman is one of them. Because we don't believe that Ar-Rahman can be a human being. We can believe that a person can have Rahmah. We can believe that a person can be merciful. But Ar-Rahman, the, the, the infinitive form of the word Rahmah, cannot be anything or anyone besides Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Everyone, everyone follow? So Mubin is something that is absolutely clear and it's perfect. It's perfect in its clarity. And not only is it clear, not only is it clear, but on the verb side, it clarifies. So the Qur'an does two things. That when a person reads it, it is clear in its understanding. There's no misunderstanding in it. When a person reads it, by the way, and this is something that I, I, I quoted before in some of my classes that I've taught here or a khutbah that I gave here, that this is one of the biggest examples or the biggest reasons why people convert to this religion. Like we automatically think that like people convert to this religion because they heard this amazing speaker or they heard a very motivational talk or they went to like a conference or something like that. The majority of people accept this deen because of just glancing over the Qur'an. And you know what's even more incredible about that? Is that they did not even read the actual Qur'an. What they actually read? The translation most likely. So if the translation of the Qur'an is so moving, if the translation of the Qur'an is so amazing, imagine what the actual Qur'an can do for a person's heart. The word of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The, the actual speech of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this kitab, it clarifies. What does it clarify? Everything in someone's life. It's a manual. It's a manual for a person to use through any sort of question or any sort of situation, any hal that a person has in their lifetime. I'm going through this issue with my family. I'm going through the situation with my work. I'm going through this situation with my neighbors. I'm going through this situation with my children. I'm going through this situation with the question that I have about some religious matter. The first source ever, ever of all time is always Quran. Because the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ comes from the original source, which is the Quran. And this is why, by the way, when it comes to just kind of like tangent here, when it comes to fiqh, that's always the, the pedagogy, right? The pedagogy is kind of like the, 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 the process of, 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 of the, the, the procedure at least, right? Quran, sunnah, and obviously after that you have scholarly consensus. But scholarly consensus cannot exist if it's without the sunnah. The sunnah cannot exist if it does not have the Quran. So there is a very, very beautiful, and by the way, this is what we call in, in, in Arabic, tartib, which means like a beautiful process. Something to follow. We believe in process and we believe in methodology. We don't just believe in doing things haphazardly and randomly. That's why we believe in doing things in the right time, in a timely manner. That when a person is ready, then they move on to the next level. When a person is ready after that, they move on to the next level. A person, a new Muslim cannot just come in and start to do the things that are, you know, uh, voluntary when they have not done their fara'id. Right? And we talked about this in the 40 hadith of Imam Nawawi. That if a person is neglecting their obligatories, their sunan or their nawafil is actually in danger. 
Because they're not doing what is required of them first. The things to follow, they will follow. But the order of the procedure is what is obligatory is always first. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, تِلْكَ آيَاتُ الْكِتَابِ الْمُبِينَ إِنَّا أَنزَلْنَاهُ قُرْآنًا عَرَبِيًّا لَعَلَّكُمْ تَعْقِلُونَ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then continues and He says in verse number 2, إِنَّا أَنزَلْنَاهُ قُرْآنًا عَرَبِيًّا He says that we have revealed أَنزَلْنَاهُ we have revealed, we have sent down. We have sent this beautiful kitab in Mubin. Anzalnahu Qur'anan Arabiyan. We have sent it in a language. And what's that language? Arabic. Why? Why? First and foremost, the reason why, because according to the tafsir, is that for literally the Jews of Arabia, they asked in what language? In Arabic. So obviously the Prophet ﷺ responding to them in another language would not be appropriate. In order for the Jews to understand the response of the Prophet ﷺ, it is appropriate of the Prophet ﷺ, and obviously from the teachings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to teach this Quran in Arabic. And by the way, the Arabic language, you know, there's not enough time today to go over the depth of the Arabic language and the beauties that it brings to someone's life. And this is why, by the way, um, I, I, I tell people constantly, and there was a time in my journey even, where I, in fact, and there's a time in everyone's journey where they try to kind of understand this religion of Islam just through translations. That, you know, I'm going to just read a translation, I'm going to read an English article, I'm going to read a uh, translation of a hadith, or I'm going to read the translation of this or the translation of that. But I can guarantee you what every single person in here has somewhat hit in their life if that was the methodology that we followed at one point. You, it's called a wall. <laughs> it's called a wall. You hit a wall. Because translations are going to be flawed at times. Translations will not always be perfect. And this is why, by the way, like fiqh-wise, it is actually not good adab to call the translation of a Qur'an the Qur'an. Because the Qur'an, right, the, 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 the infinitive form of qara means something that was recited. Something that was recited. And the translation is something that was not revealed to the Prophet ﷺ. The actual Qur'an was what was revealed to the Prophet ﷺ. So this Qur'an was written in Arabic. And, what, and, and why am I saying this is because to a certain degree... To a certain degree, and I'm not saying that everybody has to be on the same level, I'm not saying that everybody has to become a scholar of this religion, but to a certain degree, there must be a some, somewhat of an effort to understand the Arabic language to a certain degree. Even if it's something that we struggle with, and this is where that beautiful hadith of the Prophet ﷺ comes in. That if a person struggles reciting the Qur'an, they receive so much reward for each and every letter that they struggle with. A person looks, opens up the Quran, and they are reciting, "Inna anzalna hu Quran," and they're they're struggling with it. Allah Subhanahu wa Taala gives that person so much reward because of the effort that is put into it. Because Islam is not a religion of one hundred percent. Or zero percent. You guys understand that? It's not a hundred or zero. 
This is something that unfortunately, like we've come to just accept as a culture, you either pass or you fail. <laughs> right? This is something that we've unfortunately come to, 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 to become used to as a culture. That either you're, you're good at something or you're horrible at it. In Islam, this is not how it works. That a person who has struggled their entire life reading the Qur'an, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala may reward that person even more than a person who flew through the Qur'an with, 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 with ease, with fluency. So when we see like, you know, our, 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 and by the way, this is why, you know, and I'll kind of mention this as a very important point here, that, you know, for a group of people, and, you know, I'm sure a lot of people in here can also be in the same boat as me, where my natural tongue is not in Arabic, right? I, I was born and raised to speak Bangla. I was born in Dhaka, Bangladesh. I spoke Bangla growing up. And then I had to learn English <laughs> when we moved here when I was five and a half years old. And Arabic for me was like almost the same as like a language like Spanish. <laughs> you know, like when you take Spanish classes in school or you're taking a foreign language class in a university. That was Arabic for me. And I remember when I began reciting the Qur'an, I, everything was messed up that I, that, that, from, from my recitation. I had no idea the difference between a sad and a seen. I had no idea the difference between a ta and a ta. I had no idea the difference between a ha and a ha. Right? There's a difference. I had no idea of any of this stuff. But the effort over time allows one to, in fact, learn it better even than people who are naturally in that language. And this is why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you know, and by the way, this is a very interesting, and, by, and I'll mention this, this is really serious by the way, that there are scholars who are very serious about the people who Arabic comes naturally to them. That for some people, unfortunately, because this, this Qur'an was revealed in Arabic, that this religion was revealed in a language like Arabic, that people who come from that part of the world, it could almost be like a taken-for-granted type of thing that could come even to the extent of arrogance. You know, the, uh, there's a joke, by the way, that, 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 that some Arabs, they call themselves Ahlul Lugha. <laughs> you know, that, that means the people of the language. <laughs> the people of the language. Like this is where Ahlul Lugha, we're the people of the Qur'an, we're the people of the language. And sometimes, unfortunately, Ahlul Lugha are they're, they're even less understanding of the Qur'an than people who learn the Qur'an from a foreign state. Some of the most profound teachers of Arabic are actually not even Arabs. It's incredible. One of our teachers of Arabic, by the way, at the Qalam Seminary, Ustad Ubaidullah Ahmed, who was born and raised, right? He's, uh, he, he's from Pakistan, right? One of the most profound teachers of Arabic that we have in the city of Dallas. Breaks down Arabic like it's a science, like it's a math. <laughs> what is, you know, fa'il maf'ul? You know, what, 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 what is rafa, what, what is, uh, nasab, jar? All these different prep, you know, uh, you know, uh, parts of speech, all these different, you know, endings of, of words. These are things that, 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 are, that are difficult to come by sometimes, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives reward for those who put an effort for it. So, inna anzalahu Quran arabiya, why? And the, and the answer is right there. لَعَلَّكُمْ تَعْقِلُونَ And I mentioned the meaning of this by the way already. تَعْقِلُونَ Anyone? Anyone know? تَعْقِلُونَ Very good. Those who may understand or reflect. لَعَلَّكُمْ تَعْقِلُونَ تَعْقِلُونَ comes from the word aql by the way. Aql means intelligence. Right? 
that a person who is intelligent, you know, they put effort into understanding this Arabic. They put effort into understanding this Arabic because Arabic is a language that is unlike any other language in the world. Unlike any other language in the world. Think about of all the languages in the world, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decided to reveal His Qur'an in Arabi. There has to be a profound reason behind that choice. And of course, this is divine decree, this is qadr of Allah. But the understandable reason is because there must be a profound meaning behind this language. That the words and the letters behind it are beautiful. There's no other, and by the, this is why, by the way, the translation does not do justice to the Arabic. Then when we read the translation, by the way, there are scholars who even, I'll give you guys a very easy example to understand. Surah Al-Fatiha, how many ayat? Seven, right? Including the Basmala, right? Because the Basmala is a part of the, the Fatiha. Seven ayat of, the Quran, of, of, of this surah. There is an eight-volume book on Surah Al-Fatiha. Eight volumes. Not eight pages, not eight chapters, not eight sections, eight volumes. Volumes being like hundred pages each. On one surah. How is that possible? In the English language, you cannot do that. It's not possible. You run out of metaphors and analogies and synonyms and all these different things. You can't describe a word after you use like a paragraph. There are scholars who reflect upon Fatiha in eight volumes. Why? So you may ponder. So you may think. And this is, by the way, why it is so important for us to understand that what I mentioned in the beginning, that the Qur'an cannot just be something that we use for ritual purposes. It cannot be something that we just put up in our bookshelves and it's very beautiful to look at. And once in a while we do like an ameen, and you know, we congratulate our, our children for reading through the entirety of it. And after they read through the entirety of it, khalas, khatam, bas, that's it. There has to be more to it than that. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and this is one of the final verses because it's already 8.55 inshallah. I plan to, since salah is at 9.15, I plan to finish at 9.10 inshallah. نَحْنُ نَقُسُّ عَلَيْكَ أَحْسَنَ الْقَصَصِ أَحْسَنَ الْقَصَصِ بِمَا أَوْحَيْنَ إِلَيْكَ هَذَا الْقُرْآنَ وَإِن كُنْتَ مِنْ قَبْلِهِ لَمِنَ الْغَافِلِينَ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he continues and he says that we have... We are now going to present to you Nahnu Naqus. Nahnu Naqus. Naqus is really interesting. Naqus basically means like we're gonna we're gonna narrate. And think about it, right? I mean any story told by a person. I mean we imagine like we we gasp over great storytellers in this dunya, right? Anybody ever heard like Mufti Kamani speak? You know, Sheikh Omar Sulaiman speak? We're like, oh my goodness, subhanAllah. These orators, right? When they tell stories of this religion, I just can't stop listening. My YouTube videos are like endless, right? Like Sheikh Omar Suleiman's like Ramadan series, like the angel series. My God, like how does a person narrate so beautifully? And you think about that, and then you read this ayah. Shall I narrate to you? Shall I narrate to you something? And this is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaking. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks with such right that He says, نَحْنُ نَقُصُّ عَلَيْكَ أَحْسَنَ الْقَصَصِ 
That when I narrate, it's the best of narrations. <laughs> that you can't get narrations that are better than this. That this right here is going to be the best thing that you'll ever read in terms of narrations. Whatever stories you've read in your life, whatever you know, tales that your grandparents have told and your daddy and your nani and whoever told you about this, this narration is going to blow your mind. Because the word ahsan comes from the word ihsan, hasan, which means something that is done with absolute excellence. Something that is the closest to perfection that it can possibly get to. And not only that, by the way, you know the other meaning of ahsan al-qasas means not only is it the best of narrations, but it's told in the best of manners. So there's one thing to be of amazing story, right? There's a many of amazing stories. We hear many amazing stories in our lives. But to narrate it in the best of manners is something totally different. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that we will tell you the best story in the best way. So whenever we translate that, right, we're reading the surah and we read, surah, and we read ayah number three and we recite, and we recite we know what it means that we will narrate to you the best of narrations in the best of manners. This is the meaning of this part of the ayah. Bima awhayna Bima awhayna ilayka hadha al-Qur'an So we narrate to you in the best of manners the stories of the past and although before this narration ilayka hadha al-Qur'an wa in kunta min qabilihi lamin al-ghafilin That before this qasas before this narration came to you you're a people that were described as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He says, غافلين. And the word غافلين, by the way, comes from the word غفلة, which means, very good, heedless, just absent-minded. You were not paying attention. You were doing things with half a mind. You were lost, you were misguided. You were just very little principle. Some of the best uh, you know, uh, descriptions I can give of this, by the way, is I was saying this to some of the students that I teach at Qalam uh, yesterday, that between the Prophet ﷺ and Prophet Isa ﷺ, the two of the, mo- the, the most final prophets of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Anyone know how many years? Just generally? The, narr- the, the major narrations say five to six hundred years. That's what the major narrations say. The, there was a very famous study that actually came from a university in America that said that language, lugha, language is lost over, anyone want to take a guess how many generations? Two to three, very good. Two to three generations, if a language is not actively preserved, it is lost. Meaning that like a person cannot hope to just hear passively and hope to retain it. So I know this is, by the way, a nightmare for a lot of the parents in here right now, right? They're like, but I want my child to know Urdu. <laughs> I, want my, I want my kids to know Urdu. I want my kids to know Bangla. I want my kids to know Arabic. Well, I will say something. It is work, right? It's work. I, it's going to be work for me. My wife is, my wife is, half, my wife is white. <laughs> my wife is a convert to this religion. So Bangla is not a natural language for her. So now I have the entire responsibility of teaching my daughter Bangla, which is... Inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi raji'un As my mother would say Right? You know, my bangla is, uh, is, is unfortunately not you know, the, the tafsir ibn Kathir type <laughs> It is not a, of, the, of the highest standards So it takes an active role of a person To teach a, a, a child language 
So it can be preserved over just two to three generations. Now imagine how many generations come and go in 600 years. Possibly 12, 11, 10, maybe being the, this is the most generous 10. So 10 to 12 generations come and go between Isa and the Prophet And the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is lost. Through idolatry and, 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 and Zoroastrianism and you know, all these different you know, uh, you know, ideologies and methodologies and religions that were created at that time. At that point, the people who were around at that time were just completely of, of ghafla. They had no idea what was going on. And this is why, by the way, when we read, and this is, I, I, and I'm very, I don't know how many, how many, raise your hands, how many people were here when Shaykh Abdul Nasser was doing the seerah? Anyone? I know, I, know, I know Dr. Asif was definitely here, right? No, this is a newer group. When, when Shaykh Abdul Nasser did the seerah, I can guarantee you that Shaykh Abdul Nasser Jenga, he probably went over the pre-Islamic Arabia at certain points. When we read the stories of pre-Islamic Arabia, I mean, this is just tragedy. I mean, you know, we think of, you know, now when we think of the Muslim world, we think of like, you know, principle and, you know, we, at least in terms of, you know, non-political. I'm talking about just kind of manners and, 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 and it's morals and principle. We know that, you know, the people will not be allowed to do things that are, you know, fusuq, asyan, things that are inappropriate, right? Things that are haram. They're not be, it's, not, it's not allowed in, Islam, in Muslim countries. I would love to, I would love to, you know, imagine what pre-Islamic Mecca used to look like. People used to drink in the streets. People, you know, there, there were narrations. People used to uh, fight each other over the smallest, most petty disagreements. It would turn into duels. There were literally uh, chapters in the life of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Harub al-Fijar, Hilf al-Fudud. These battles... These conflicts came from misunderstandings that caused bloodshed in the city of Mecca. Women used to say that my, my name had no value to it unless my father was a wealthy man. That a slave would be treated worse than an animal. That a slave would be treated worse than an animal. Bilal ibn Rabah, radiallahu anhu. May Allah give him the highest levels of Jannah. Was treated worse than an animal. At that time. So when the Prophet ﷺ came and he taught people, La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah, Inna salata tanha anil fahsha wal munkar, was saum ramadan, was zakah wal hajj. The concept of akhirah, the concept of, hal, of, of, of Jannah, Jahannam, to these people it was foreign. Don't dare tell me that my actions are going to be accounted for. And this is why, by the way, uh, you know a very, a very clear example of this? Tabbat yada Abi Lahab watab. Abu Lahab would literally say, ma aghna anhu malhu wa ma kasab. <laughs> he, would literally, he would literally say, my children and my wealth will, will save me. My children and my wealth will save me. Abu Jahl, when he was killed in the battle of Badr, Abu Jahl was very a prime example of just like the, the, the Jahiliyyah of that time. Literally, Abu Jahl, the father of Jahiliyyah. Abu Jahl, when he was killed, he said, you know, on his, on, on his moment of death, you know what he said? This will prove to you how lost and, 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 and just filled with ghafla these people were. He said, cut my head a little bit lower. You know why? He said, I'll look, I'll look more presentable. He said, my, and, and this is why, by the way, uh, the neck, 
was something that was uh, almost like a, 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 a source of pride for a lot of people. Y'all ever read the Fiji diha haglum masad? The wife of Abu Lahab, her punishment, Fiji diha haglum masad. That around her neck would be like a rope of fire, of, of palm fiber tight around her neck. Why? Because she used to actually uh, wear like very, very uh, like expensive jewelry. And like a very boastful way, she would walk around the city of Mecca kind of like arrogantly showing it off to people. This is the, this is the ghafla that people were going through at that time. This was, the, this was the literal heedlessness that people were going through. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He says, you are finally receiving a Qur'an that is a direct antidote of your ghafla. But again, what characteristic of a person will disallow them to benefit from this? Their own arrogance. I don't need any person to tell me what to do. I don't need any man telling me what to do. Who are you, Muhammad ibn Abdullah? A'udhu billah. That's what they used to say. That this man is a man of, of, of uh, this man is a, is a son of a, of a man that I, that I knew, Abdullah ibn Abdul Muttalib ibn Hashim. We, we knew his grandfather, we knew his great grandfather, we knew all of them. How can this man be a prophet of God? For sure, he is what? Kahin. He is Sha'ir, a poet, a soothsayer, a magician. That's what they used to call him. So even after this proof came to them, they would deny, 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 deny. And by the way, this is, by the way, you know, in the previous ayah when we said, La'allakum ta'aqilun, you know, La'alla in Arabic means like, it, it translates as like, so that. It's because of. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He knew that the, the, the curse of the Arabs at that time was truly their arrogance. That even after I show you the proof and this prophet of mine will give you the verses that prove to you the answer to the question that you're asking the Jews, tell me the story of Yusuf and his father Yaqub, you still will not believe. You still will not believe. So this is you know, something very important for us to reflect over. And I think this is something that, uh, you know, I, I believe that the, these first three ayat of this surah, Alif Lam Ra Tilka Ayatul Kitab al Mubin, Inna Anzalahu Quran and Arabi Allah Alam Tabilun, Nahunaku Sadika Hassan al Qasas, Bima Ohina Ileka Had al Quran, Wa in Kuntam in Kabli Hilam al Ghafirin. These first three ayat of this surah are, it's a necessary prerequisite to understand the rest of it. Because this surah is founded upon this principle. Because there are pieces of Surah Yusuf, by the way, and I will, I will share this before we conclude insha'Allah and you know, we get into the actual Qasas next week, next Monday, that it is a prerequisite for us to humble ourselves before we read the Surah. That along the way, there will be moments where you will ask yourself, well, you know, why, you know, Yusuf salam, why did he not do this? Why did he not do that? Why did Ya'qub not go looking for his son? Why did Yusuf not go back looking for his father after he attained you know, maturity and adulthood and all these different things? Why did this happen? Why did that happen? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala very, very strategically, the surah begins with these ayat because it reminds us the frame of mind that someone has to have in order to understand the word of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because know that before this you were lost. And this is, by the way, where, 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 where Surah Al-Duha comes into play as well. وَوَجَدَكَ ضَالًا فَهَدَى وَوَجَدَكَ عَائِلًا فَأَغْنَى SubhanAllah. 
that what were you before we guided you? You were just lost, you were wandering around. لَقَدْ خَلَقْنَا الْإِنسَانَ فِي كَبَدْ I taught this to the students on Saturday, by the way, in my class, in level 5 here in the South Lake, Saturday weekend school. That, you know, Allah Ta'ala, He says in Surah Al-Balad, لَقَدْ خَلَقْنَا الْإِنسَانَ فِي كَبَدْ Your life is literally encompassed with hardship. From the minute that you are born to the minute that you die, it's hardship. And in the beginning, you were lost. You had no idea what to follow. You had no idea what to follow. And you want to know a, a, a good exercise, by the way, for everyone who is here? You know, and, 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 and I'm, I'm, I'm assuming, and forgive me if I'm wrong, please, please, inshallah, forgive me, but I'm assuming that the majority of people here are born Muslim. And if I'm incorrect, inshallah, please forgive me. But for those of us who are born Muslim, there's this automatic default assumption that, you know, that, 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 that I was... The, this, the, the, the right of this religion is mine That's not true That's absolutely not true That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Gave our families hidayah That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala It was from the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala That he, if we were born Muslim That he guided our parents That if our parents were born Muslim That he guided our grandparents That if our grandparents were born Muslim That he guided our great grandparents You are a beneficiary of the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala not very often do people think about things like this. That what would my life look like if I was not Muslim? What would my, what, what, what would my dunya consist of? If Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did not give me this blessing and this ni'mah of this religion. You would never know what salah is. You would never know what Ramadan is. You would never know what dua is. You would never know what sadaqah is. You would never know what, you know, just all these basic concepts that you and I have come to know. All of these would be completely foreign to all of us. So this is just a small kind of lesson and a prerequisite for us to just reflect upon, to do some tadabbur, to do a little bit of reflection in order for us to truly begin studying and reading and understanding the actual qasas of Surah Yusuf. Which we inshallah will start next week So again, you know, this is an incredible kind of And, and by the way, you know, I, I, I am probably You know, the, 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 the <laughs> when it comes to the example that I gave everybody earlier That there was a scholar that, you know, wrote about Fatiha in eight volumes You know, this is a small fraction of an example For it's 9.10 now, we began this class around 8.17 for nearly an hour, we spoke about three ayat of the Qur'an. Just three. This surah consists of how many ayat? Anyone? 111. 111. Alhamdulillah. So this surah consists over a hundred verses. We went over three in a 55-minute span. This is a direct manifestation of you know, this, this beautiful language And not just the language itself But the beauty of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala There's no other text No other, you know Nothing that you can go over like this Just so freely and beautifully Like the Quran So we make a conclusion dua We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Yes, bismillah, yes 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 Hada. Right. 
Right. Tilka ayat. These signs and these verses. Very good. Yes. Tilka ayat. Because in the in Surah Al-Baqarah, Hadha, right? Hadha is used. Very good. So tilka ayat, right, brother, Dr. Asif, he's mentioning, is used for the specific verses. And that's more of a grammatical point, by the way, in terms of like, mudaf, mudaf ilay. It's kind of like a more kind of nuanced grammatical lesson is that, you know, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is directly referring to a, a, a word, he's talking about something that directly follows it. So tilka ayat means these here verses and not tilka ayatul kitab. The kitab is something else and he's talking directly about the ayat of the kitab, the verses of the kitab. So we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to put benefit in our reflection and our reading of this Quran. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to allow us to become more humble with each and every single word that we read and recite. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to allow us to benefit from each and every single letter that was recited today. And we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to allow us to implement these lessons that we learned from his Quran. And we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to allow the Quran to be a hujjah for us on the day of judgment that the Quran will testify for our piety and our dedication and our loyalty towards it and not be a hujjah and a proof against us because we do not practice the words that we learn we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to have mercy upon us ameen rabbil alameen subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik wa nashadu an la ilaha illa ant nastaghfiruka wa natubu alaik insha'Allah next uh, Monday we will uh, begin with ayah number 4 إِذْ قَالَ يُوسُفُ لِأَبِيهِيَا insha'Allah assalamu alaikum